The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Nathan. Well, we're back in the book of Galatians now, and we took a little hiatus from that last week uh, as we were preparing for Christmas, and... um, this passage that we, we just read is, 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 is really the heart of the entire book of Galatians, uh, kind of in a nutshell. You can say that about a lot of these texts that we've broken out for this series. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to make a couple of, just I want to take a pastoral moment and make a couple of reflections on the last year and the new season that we're in as we're going into 2020. I'm a person who... Uh, Early in our, in our marriage, um, I, I'm a person who gets, uh, I don't know if depressed is quite the right word, but I certainly am a person who, I can get depressed, <laughs> but I'm a person who gets uh, kind of a melancholy that comes over me a couple of times a year, and my wife made the observation early on in our marriage that it happens to me um, usually in August and the end of the year. Any guesses as to what's significant about those moments? Those are seasons of transition, right? There are times that their semester starts. In my whole life, I'd been on a semester, semester, summer schedule, and I process seasons of transition uh, very personally and deeply a lot of times. Uh, some seasons, it's more uh, complicated and, and heavier than others. Some seasons, it's just it, it's very buoyant and filled with hope, but, but this is a time of year, maybe you're like this, where even though it's just, you know, you could, you could argue that it's just an arbitrary date on a calendar and it's just a changing of a... Th- but it's, it's more than that because we're made to be people who process time um, in ways where there are milestones and markers along the way. The Lord gave to his people, Israel in the Old Testament, holy days to observe, right? Every year you celebrate this on this day and here's the things that you remember on that day and you keep that. Uh, so we have a Sabbath, but then there were Passover and Purim and other holy days that the people would always celebrate as a way of saying, life has a rhythm to it, it has a flow to it, and there are things that happen that shape us. And, and so it's completely appropriate, and it's a spiritual exercise to observe and to celebrate seasons of change and transition and to be mindful of those things. And so I'm a person who, who does that, and I've been thinking a lot about 
just going into a new decade, the last decade of, of our lives as a family and where the Lord has taken us and the things that have happened. And, and it, it's, it was a complicated decade for us in, in some ways. Um, I'm sure yours was complicated too. I got early on, like in 2013, I got really, really sick um, to the point where I had to prepare to I had to prepare for eventualities that could have been really, really bad. Uh, and I'm okay now. Uh, they were able to fix what was wrong with me, but it was a formative, life-changing uh, season of our lives to come face-to-face with my mortality um, and, and, and to process through that. And I marvel at the faithfulness of the Lord uh, in this past decade. And so I just want to mention a couple of things uh, that have been on my mind, uh, specifically related to Christ Pres Cool Springs, uh, to this location. And it's, uh, I'm going to keep it together the best that I can, but it's hard to do this because, I'm, because you are a lot of what I think about when, when I think about this season of change. And, and one of the things that the Lord has given us uh, all, but I think he's given me in ways that I'm just so thankful for, is the ability to get to know the stories of so many of you in this room. Over the last year and a half that we've been gathering as a church, and I've... It, it, Guys, some of the sorrow and the struggle and the pain and disaster that we sung about, listen, it's present in this room. Some of the things that you all have been through in the last year, in the last 18 months that I know about, and I only know a fraction, is intense. And I've seen kind of this holy defiance um, in, in resisting the darkness that the darkness, that a light has shown in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, is the testimony of so many of you. Uh, and you fight. And it's awesome. And sometimes you falter in that fight, and so do I. And yet the darkness has not overcome the light. And so, in a way that I don't want it to sound pandering or pejorative, I'm just really proud of you <laughs> as a congregation. Can I say that? Is that something I can say? I'm proud of you. This year, we've seen a lot of change and transition here in the church. Both Tim and Lindsay, who started the year as, as, as rounding out the team with me, have gone on to different things. Lindsay's in Uganda right now. Tim is doing an amazing work over at Covenant Presbyterian Church, uh, leading a big program over there. And both of them are involved in beautiful uh, gospel transformation type of ministries, and the Lord is working in them and through them, and it's awesome for me to be able to see. Um, uh, one of the other great gifts that I enjoy as a pastor at Christ Pres- Presbyterian Church is my fellowship with the other pastors. Um, Scott and Stacy and I specifically are, are the three site pastors, you know, Scott at Old Hickory and Stacy at Music Row, and uh, those guys are dear to me, and I get to spend time with them, and we talk about heart-level stuff, and we process things, we struggle together, we, encha- we challenge each other, we encourage each other, uh, we say difficult things to each other out of love and, and you're in, in trying to pull each other uh, and make each other stronger, and I'm, it's just an incredible gift that I have that I wouldn't have if, I, if, if, if we were just if we were just a church plant with no connection to a larger um, church, uh, not in the way that I have it. And I'm very, very thankful for that. It's an awesome thing. Um, I just want to acknowledge, too, the joy that I feel of being, one, a pastor, because I believe I'm called to this, but two, the joy of being your pastor, 
this, this church is an awesome collection of people. It's a beautiful mix of gifts and stories and, and walking faithfully with the Lord over time and humor. Man, you people are funny sometimes. Um, you people. You see, I just said that. I'm not supposed to say you people from the pulpit. That's bad. But you guys have been amazing, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, I'm having fun. If I'm going to give you a year-end report, I'm having fun being your pastor. Um, I'm amazed at what the Lord is doing. I'm excited. There are some big things on the horizon for the coming year uh, and some things that we're working on right now that I'm not going to say anything about at this point, but uh, there are things that the Lord is, seems to be putting together for us that I'm really excited about. And so uh, I'm excited for 2020 and the coming decade for Christ Presbyterian Cool Springs. Um, so anyway, that, that's my state of the union. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for, for the, what the Lord is doing and for all of you. Uh, and uh, I love this time of year, uh, especially this season. You know how things get, time just kind of slows down and between Christmas and New Year, that, that sort of space, and you never know what day those, those holidays are going to fall on this year. It's right kind of in the middle of the week. And, and it's, it, I don't know if it's like this for you, but the days all kind of squished together. I had several points this past week where I couldn't really remember what day it was. Is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? Is it morning? Is it afternoon? You know, it's the time when you know, everybody stays in their PJs all day long. And you're like, is it really noon already? You know, and I don't know if you're, you get that way or not, but your house kind of takes on this lived-in look. There are crumbs everywhere um, just from people, just from people being around all day long. But true confession, for me, I get a little stir-crazy after a bit. I get, I reach a point where I'm done, done with the break, ready to get back to work, get ready to back into my groove. I love the routine. I love the rhythm. God bless the rhythm and the routine. One of the ways that you know I'm getting stir crazy is mood swings. I can turn on a dime when, when, my, when, when, when I'm ready to just get back into a groove. I get... I get moody, I get irritable, I get antsy, a little twitchy. And what that means is it means that people around me can sense it. Not just sense it, they can observe it. They can see it happening. That, uh uh-oh, dad is moody, (laughs) or uh, he's irritable, or he was smiling and now he's not smiling anymore. And, And that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to become a person who is unpredictable in his mood, right? Where it's just, it can turn on a dime. And moody people can be this way. Is God this way? Is God moody? Is he unpredictable? Is God one who will just change his mood in a moment with no warning and no reason? Maybe the better way to ask that question is, when you think about God, do you think about him in that way? Have you ever thought to yourself that I must be on God's last nerve, that there has to be a tipping point with him where he would just shake his head at me and say, come on, why 
Why? I can't get anywhere with you. You ever feel that way about God? Is this God's personality? Because see, if the truth about God is that he operates according to mood, that it's possible to catch God on a bad day, or if you think it's possible to catch God on an uncharacteristically good day, then we're dealing with a God of whim. We're dealing with a God whose mood can change, who's unpredictable, and you never know what kind of God you're going to get. Scripture does not give us that God. Scripture gives us a God who does not change. And so today's text lays an axe to the root of the idea that God is moody and that he changes on a whim. How does Scripture give us that picture? I'm going to give you a word that answers the question, how does Scripture give us that picture? Are you ready for the word? It's a good word. It's a really good word. You ready? Doctrine. Scripture gives us doctrine. Now, I don't know when you hear that word if you think, that's a stuffy word, that's a boring word, that's a a word that sucks all the air out of the room, I would contend, no, it does not. Because what doctrine does is it nails truth to the floor. It says, this doesn't move, this doesn't change. Doctrine. And Galatians, boy, if you want to read a book of doctrine, read Romans. If you want to read a short book with every bit as much doctrine as Romans, read Galatians. (laughs) And it is just there. It's everywhere, specifically when it comes to the question of what exactly gives us peace with God and how secure is that peace, actually? How secure is it? And so, as we're about to enter a new decade, we have all these transitions. Will New Year be just another day for us? Will you feel it in your bones? Will it be this big turning of a page? It can be easy to get overwhelmed in these seasons of change. We can feel it deeply. I feel it deeply. I get a little unsettled, like the ground beneath my feet is sometimes shifting. And I want that bedrock. And the role of doctrine is to give us foundation. It's to give us something to plant our feet and say, this, no matter what I feel, this I know is true. Without doctrine, our understanding of God is going to shift. It's going to shift with every breeze and every change of mood. And our place before God is going to feel like a moving target. But as we unpack today's passage, what I want to encourage us to do is celebrate the gift of doctrine, this solid ground beneath our feet. And so I want to begin with what we know about God. What's some basic fundamental doctrine that we have about God from Scripture? Not just from Galatians, but from all of Scripture. This is going to be brief, but it's this. God is not a moving target. He's not subject to whim. He's not subject to mood. How do we know? We know because he's perfect in every way, because he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's eternal, he's perfectly wise, he's never confused, And he never loses control of himself, and he never loses control of creation. We're the moving targets. 
We're the ones blown around by the wind of change. We're the ones who wake up wondering if God loves us as much today as he, as he will tomorrow or as he did yesterday. We're the ones who wonder, have I gotten on God's last nerve? Am I close? And what doctrine does is it nails truth to the floor. And by studying doctrine, then, we lash ourselves to truth. And so I want to do that now. And the way we're going to go about this passage, actually, is we're going to unpack it a verse at a time. There are five verses here on the doctrine of justification, and I want to walk through them one at a time in order for us to comprehend. So this is called expository preaching, right? And I am going to exposit this passage. So verse 10, we have it right here, says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the question that this verse is asking is, what do you rely on to save you? And we've rehearsed this question in this Galatians series many, many times. But if you are relying on your best effort to save you, what this verse is saying is you're cursed. Why? Because you've already failed. You've already failed to live up to God's law. And what scripture says is cursed is everyone who does not perfectly keep God's law. And that's all of us. So that's what this verse is saying. If you're relying on your own efforts to save you, you're already done. So verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The simple fact that no one has ever been able to keep God's law perfectly tells us that if then we are to be justified before God, it has to come by another way. It has to come by a way other than us keeping the law perfectly because that's already done. We've already failed at that. So the righteous don't live by perfect law keeping. The righteous live by faith, by faith in God, by faith in his perfect mercy and his perfect grace. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So righteousness based on law keeping has no need for faith. If your righteousness is going to be based in law keeping, you don't need faith. What you need instead is just perfection. Just be perfect. Your record will speak for itself. And if you can attain and achieve perfection... You don't need faith. You don't need Jesus. You're good. You're fine. At one point in our family's history, we had a neighbor who liked to call zoning and codes on us (laughs) for violations. This happened more times than we were comfortable with. And usually we we were not in violation. But it's not fun for a police officer to knock on your front door and have a conversation with you or a zoning and codes officer. And one time, and they they knew the neighbor and they knew that this was kind of a thing that happened with this particular neighbor. And during one visit, one of the codes officer looked at me and he said something that to him would have been, let me encourage you. And to me, I was like, that's oppressive. Here's what he said. He said, I know that you're troubled by the frequent calls, but look, 
we visit more than you like. Here's the thing you got to remember. As long as you're in compliance with all the zoning and codes, you don't have to worry. Just don't even worry. If he calls, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're in compliance with all of the zoning and the codes and all the rules and you're in perfect compliance, just don't even worry about it when we show up. You're fine. Would that be comforting to you? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm just hoping that one of you doesn't say to me, can I look around in your backyard and make sure everything's cool back there? Because I'm sure, I don't know all the zoning and code rules, but I live in Brentwood, Tennessee, and what I can tell you is they are many. <laughs> Right? There's a lot of them. And I don't know if I'm breaking the law. I've found out that I was, and I've since corrected it, but I don't know. But to tell me, hey, listen, all you have to do is just be perfectly in compliance with the law, and you don't have to worry about anything was not comforting to me, because I'm like, I don't even know all the law. In other words, if you're going to live according to the law, you don't need to hope for mercy. You don't need to hope that the zoning and codes officer is having a good day instead of a bad day because you're perfectly in compliance with the law. You're fine. Just justify yourself. Faith and mercy of another, it's unnecessary at that point. I don't know about you. That's not comforting to me because... I'm not in perfect compliance with the law. I'm sure I'm not in perfect compliance with the law. At, at this point, Paul argues, it, it, we look for justification in one of two places. We're either going to look for it within ourselves on our own perfect record. The law is not of faith. The one who lives by the law shall live by the law. Just keep it. We either, we either look for justification within our own perfect record of righteousness or we look for it outside. And if we're looking to be justified from the outside, then faith in that justifier is necessary. Faith that the one who will justify us from the outside will actually justify us is necessary. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So how does Christ justify us before God? How are we redeemed from the debt of our sin? The curse of death, the wage of sin, has to be lifted. That's how. That curse has to be lifted. And how is that curse lifted? Christ. Christ redeems us by taking the wage of sin upon himself. What is the wage of sin? Death. He takes that upon himself. Doctrine, right? We're in doctrine here. And he absorbs the curse for us on the cross. And so when little children make simple statements of faith, like Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, you ever have kids say that? Jesus died on the cross to save me. Why did Jesus die on the cross to save me from my sins? You know what they're saying? You know what they're giving you? Doctrine. They're giving you doctrine. They're giving you foundational bedrock truth. What they're saying is this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's what your child is saying to you when they say Jesus died on the cross for my sins. The curse we were under as lawbreakers, he redeems us from. Has this happened yet? 
It's not a trick question. It has happened. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. If you believe you are under the curse of the law, if you believe that God looks at you and says, based on your behavior, I can barely stand you, here's some doctrine. He can stand you. You're precious to him. You're loved by him. Notice in every verse so far, Paul has been quoting and pulling from the Old Testament. He's not explaining a new theological idea. Christianity was not a new idea. It wasn't a new concept. It was the perfection of the Old Testament covenant. And that's what Paul's showing us here. He's showing us that the Old Testament was always pointing toward Christ and his saving work. It wasn't as though God intended for us to be justified by the law first and then discovered, because he didn't already know, he discovered that we weren't capable of that and so his initial plan fell apart. That's not what happened, right? It wasn't that when his plan fell to pieces, that initial one, he said to Jesus, all right, let's try this another way. Let's do this justified by faith idea instead. No, no. This was what God was doing. He was giving us the law to show us that if we're going to be justified, it has to come from outside. The law was given to the people, to people who don't just break the law on occasion. We are at our core lawbreakers at heart. We're not rebelling against the law itself. We're rebelling against God's claim on us, his right to have us. We're not sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we're sinners. You see the difference there? We don't, we're not sinners because we commit sin. We commit sin because of a nature. And the law forced us to recognize the truth that we need a mediator because of this. And what Christ did is he redeemed us from the curse by taking the curse on himself. Why? Why did he do that? Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Doctrine. Why? Why did Christ redeem us? So that the blessing of Abraham, and what was that blessing? It was that God would take a people to himself, that he would keep them forever, he would never let them go. that that blessing would flow to people who weren't Jewish. Which when Galatians was written was a novel concept. And it was always meant to work this way. When God established his covenant with Abraham, he said Abraham's descendants would be a blessing and all the nations of the world would be blessed through them. This is Old Testament doctrine, right? And Christ is the way that happened. Christ is the way the blessing of Abraham came to the nations of the world. What does that have to do with us in this room? We're the nations of the world. I think only a handful of us in this room are Jewish in origin. The rest of us are Gentiles. And what Paul is saying is the gospel has come to the Gentiles and the Jews alike. And we've talked about this in this series already. Why is it important to us? He did this so that we who are not Jewish, might receive the promised Holy Spirit as well. 
and not through law keeping, but through faith in our Redeemer. And so what it means is this, because Christ took the curse for us, we not only have salvation in his name, I'm not just saved, but we also have his permanent presence with us, wherever we go. We have the Holy Spirit. So I'm not just saved, it's not like God just says, all right, you're saved, and then no, go play, right? He says, you're saved, and my spirit is going to live inside of you forever. That's amazing. N.T. Wright wrote, wrote this. He said, the cross of Jesus and the gift of the spirit means God has dealt with the problem that stood in the way of the blessing reaching out to the world and embracing Israel as well as it did so. So in summary, what these verses are saying is this. We're all lawbreakers, so hoping to be justified by our record of righteousness is hopeless. And because we're lawbreakers, we live under the curse of the debt of sin, which is death, and that's a debt we cannot repay. But Christ paid our debt on the cross, and his redeeming act was so sufficient that we not only gain salvation, but we're also given the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God who lives inside of us. And that is how holy we are in the sight of God, is that my sins have been redeemed and paid for fully, and the Spirit of God himself dwells inside of me. That's how justified you are. You're so justified that no sin will ever be counted against you and the presence of God lives inside of you. Doctrine. God dwells in those who put their faith in Christ's redeeming work. Doctrine matters, doesn't it? it because it doesn't just say, I know how you feel. Here's maybe another way to think about things. Doctrine says, this is how it is. Full stop. So let me conclude. We have the kids in here. We usually have a lot of kids' ministry happening on the other side of the hallway, and this morning it's just up through four uh, years old. So kids, you're doing awesome. You're hanging in there. We're almost done. When I say in conclusion, I mean it. And so let me conclude by saying this. If law-keeping can't save us, and if our only true justification before God is Christ's perfect record of righteousness alone, then I want us to consider some doctrinal implications of this. What does that doctrine mean for you? Okay? I'm going to say these. These are true. If your faith is in Christ, this is true. Number one, you will never bear the punishment for your sin. You will never bear the punishment for your sin. You will never bear the punishment for your sin. Two, your children will never bear the punishment for your sin. Your children will never bear the punishment for your sin. God will never look at you and love you less than completely perfectly. God will never look at you and love you any less than completely perfectly. 
God will never look at your best streak of days spent in scripture and prayer and love you more than he loves you on the days when you feel like cursing his name. So, for the legalistic hearted in the room, I'm counted among them. I'm gonna say that one again. God will never look at your best streak of days spent in scripture and prayer and love you more than he loves you on the days when you feel like cursing his name. Because of doctrine. God's love for you will always be perfect and it will never waver. You'll waver. You'll be imperfect. God's love for you will never waver. And it will never be anything less than perfect. How can we be so sure of this? Because Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us. Doctrine. Tim Keller says it like this. If Jesus taking the curse means that he was regarded by God as a sinner, then our receiving the blessing means that we are regarded by God as if we are perfectly righteous and flawless. Salvation means more than forgiveness. We do not simply have our slate wiped clean. We also become perfect in God's sight and we stay perfect in God's sight. End quote. This means God will never lay the penalty for our sin on our sons because he has already laid it on his own. He will never demand two payments for our sin because that would be unjust and God is holy. Doctrine. God has not changed his mind about sin. He hasn't adopted a softer policy toward rebellion against his law. Instead, he has dealt with it in the sacrifice of Christ. And Jesus was in on it. This is the faith that the righteous live by. It's faith in this. And living by this sort of faith changes us because it means we can deal honestly with the Lord, confessing our fears and our doubts, knowing, knowing, because of doctrine, that we have nothing to prove and we have nothing to hide and we have nothing to fear because we are fully known and fully loved at the same time. Doctrine. Let's pray. Lord, I'm a man who loves story. I love a narrative. I love the interweaving of characters and dynamics and what happens next. And so I confess that I can blow right past doctrine and the unpacking of the consequences of one thing and how it relates to another. 
And I'm so thankful that in your word you have given us books like Galatians and Romans that don't just give us narrative, but that say to us, this is how things are. And it never changes. Lord, we are a people who can be very subject to whim and to how we feel in a given moment. We can be people who trust our feelings and that if we feel something, it must be true. And Lord, this is something we have to fight and it's something we have to learn to navigate, to not let our feelings about things have a stronger validity in our heart than biblical doctrinal truth that stands independent of how we feel. Lord, thank you that truth works this way, that it is bedrock, that it is foundational, that we can feel what we feel, but it doesn't change what you have done and how you have interceded and acted on our behalf, how you have redeemed us from the curse. Thank you for the richness and the grace and the beauty and the depth of your word. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and we thank you. Amen. Amen.